What is a ghost story? What is a horror story? Why is it that we can view the dead who may have returned as something to be feared, to be frightened of, to be exorcised? Many might view returning spirits as nothing more than the echoes of lives once lived. Some can see hauntings as nothing more than an energy path caught in an endless loop, someone reliving the last days of their lives that may have been fraught with fear or trauma or heartbreak. Can a ghost story become a horror story because we are terrified of what the dead might tell us, those we may have wronged who have passed on to the next life, having returned to face us with recrimination or guilt? These days, the lines between a ghost story and a horror story have blurred to where you can't really tell the difference from one or the other. But according to the literary definitions, a ghost story involves ghosts or ghostly circumstances intended to be suspenseful, more generally a story based on imagination. But a horror story is a story in which the focus is on creating a feeling of fear. Heroes of horror stories are often monsters, Frankenstein, Dracula, although that's a questionable one, except for all those Twilight fans. So a ghost story might scare you or even terrify you, but that's not its purpose. Ghost stories can be more of a commemoration of our ancestors, a reminder that as we are now, they once were. A horror story, on the other hand, will stalk you with the single-minded intent to create terror in your heart. It might use ghosts or not, but its only purpose is to make you afraid. One of the earliest ghost stories in mankind is 3,200 years old, found in 1200 BC. Correction, wasn't found in 1200 BC, but that's when it happened. In Egypt, four pieces of pottery tell a ghost story in which the ghost of a mummified man is telling a high priest of the god Amun, about his current condition. I grew, and I did not see the rays of the sun. I did not breathe, but darkness was before me every day, and no one came to find me. Now, the ancient Egyptians believed very strongly in the afterlife. In fact, a huge investment of their culture was in preparing you for what would come in the next life. So it's not uncommon or hard to believe that they would have instilled in something such as pottery or on the walls of their tombs a ghost story, something to remind us. And if you think about the last line of this man's story, no one came to find me. So isn't essentially at the heart of most ghost stories the loneliness of a spirit, perhaps traveling on, hoping to find others, and maybe not? I mean, we'd all like to think that we'll be reunited with our loved ones in whatever your belief on the afterlife is. But what if the afterlife is just loneliness? Now that could be truly terrifying. I think it's important to note that ghost stories were once handed down, whether through ceremony or around a campfire, as a way to keep our loved ones alive. We often saw them as a way to reconnect with our ancient past lives, past souls. 
But that's changed radically today. Today, we cannot coexist with them. We often find it very difficult to live with the spirits of our past. And so we try to push them out, exercise them. There are countless paranormal shows about people not only trying to confront these ghosts or hauntings, but actively demonize them, turn them into something inherently evil. But it's hard to really say if that's a truthful interpretation of what a ghost is. So we've mislaid our capacity to accept these remnants of the dead into our lives and allow them the space that they once inhabited when they were living now that they've gone on. And so that puts us at odds with an inherent part of ourselves. But now horror, that's something very different. And the way we look at horror in our society has also changed radically. When I was a kid, the closest I could get to a real scary story when I was young, now we're talking between eight and 12, I wasn't ready to read Stephen King yet, who was big at the time, but I read all books geared towards my age group. And you can be certain that the title Ghost was in all of them because ghosts still felt friendly at that time period. And we're talking the 70s into the early 80s. Ghosts were still seen as something that you could easily dismiss as nothing more than a fanciful, overactive imagination. But horror stories such as Stephen King was beginning to push out in the more mainstream, because of course there were always going to be writers that existed who were telling horror stories. We can look at the Cthulhu myth, etc. But when it came to mainstream horror, that's when it began to change. And particularly in Wayne's generation, when kids got targeted in a positive way with the concept that there were a lot scarier things out there in the dark than just your great-grandmother's ghost. The first time I remember ever truly, truly being scared is I was six, and my mother was telling me a story. Now, um, at the time, when you're six, everything scares you, as in it truly does scare you because you're like, is that real? Is it fake? And you don't know what it is. But you have that safety net of a parent's loving embrace to comfort your fears when you hear stories like this. After six, I learned to read, as all children do when you go to school. And I remember it wasn't until high school, high school, mind you, when I drew a book off a shelf that would influence how I viewed a ghost story and horror for the rest of my life. Most of you have read it. It's called Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Now there are three of them out there. But I want you to think about how this influenced you if you've ever read this book. It wasn't just the story after you read it. It was when you laid in bed at night and it all closed in on you as darkness enveloped your room. And then suddenly there's that noise in the dark. <laughs> Did you hear that voice? It said, in the dark. But we really do have to thank both Alvin Schwartz and Stephen Gamble, who 
not only wrote and illustrated the book, okay? Without them, children of my generation from the 90s, we wouldn't have this any longer. But then, another thing, as the recesses of your mind start manufacturing what other noises are in the house, you have to ask yourself, why did I read this? Why? Why do I like frightening myself? And then you find yourself seeking out other things. Now, for me, here I am in the late 80s, early 90s, seeking out these movies now because I'm like, oh, okay, I like horror as any kid who grabs a fascination with anything. I like this, I like that. But then horror gets boring. Freddy, Jason, Michael, okay, we get that. Those guys are great. But this right here was something that made me think, how do we truly interpret these things? But we're going to take a pause there because remember, in the 90s, a miniseries came out. A miniseries where there was a festive fellow in a sewer that ripped a kid's arm off. Seriously, a kid's arm off. And you watch this on TV. I was, say, anywhere between 10 to 13 years old when I first saw it on TV. And it made me think, if the man's whose mind wrote that had truly created a world, we'd all be in trouble, would we not? Things stalking us, well, most of us, we'd go on blissfully unaware. The few that got to see behind it would know what the truth was. That's the basis of a ghost story or of a horror story. It is people who see behind that veil when they're told. Because how else do you hear about these things? Word of mouth, back when, you know, it was the 18th, 19th century. Yeah, word of mouth. That's how you heard a ghost story. Or a really good story that terrified you for a couple of days. It wasn't all in books because books were expensive. Even with the printing press, books were expensive. But it makes you wonder, what are you chasing in your head that truly terrifies you with a story? Is it the thing that comes out of the shadows? Is it a creature that stalks you from underneath your bed? Or is it something that only you can conjure up to scare yourself? Because isn't that the true point of all ghost stories and horror stories? To conjure up something to scare someone? Isn't that it? Yes, it is. Because you want to scare people with these stories. Well, not everyone. But, but you want to scare people with stories like scary stories to tell in the dark. Or with a mini-series that influenced me as a kid called It. So, I mean, and then it made me read everything else that I could that scared me. And then I kind of went off that path and into, why hasn't science fiction given us something horrific? And they did. And they did. With a movie. Event Horizon. That right there gave us a true taste of science fiction horror but I, I don't know how you feel about that how do you feel about that hon I think Event Horizon combined a lot of things into the sci-fi genre that hadn't really been seen before because there was the religious basis because it's, you know 
And spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, um, it involves people being sent to hell through what a black... It was a black hole, correct? Yeah, it was a black hole generator in that. But we're not here to talk about the science of that. I just want your overall feelings No, of I wasn't that. talking about the science. I was simply saying that they brought in a religious concept with a science fiction concept. And I thought that was intriguing. Um, and, and I would... I would disagree because I don't think that ghost stories are meant to frighten us the way they they were originally designed. Today they are. Today we're supposed to be afraid of the dead for a lot of reasons. But uh, I think horror pushing out its boundaries into science fiction, um, I wish I'd see more of that. I think that we can be terrified of a lot of things. And in science fiction, they tend to focus on apocalypse, world ending, Calamitous humanity ending in, you know, um, through our destroying our planet, through destroying, you know, so much of what makes us. And, you know, like anything, you can oversaturate a theme to the point where it loses its it loses any sort of value. But the concept of the ghost story is what really captures me here, because they're not always world ending. Or they're, or as you as you digress with me or disagree with me, they're not always supposed to be scary, aren't no, they? Aren't they supposed to be tales of warning? Yeah, I mean, I think ghost stories were originally meant to warn us of our mort- mortality, to basically, you know, get us to understand that life was going to be short, and especially when you consider the origins of ghost stories, people died very young, and they died, they could. St- cut their toe and die from poisoning, you know, blood poisoning. Um, there was a, not a lot of medicine. There wasn't a lot of food. I'm talking primitive now. I'm talking people still existing in caves. But the oral tradition, you said this earlier, and I wanted to latch onto it. You know, as you said, books were expensive. Even with a printing press, mainly only the wealthy had the opportunity and the uh, possibilities of getting books. So people passed along these stories in the oral tradition, which, if you think about it, is inherently more frightening because someone telling the story can add a depth and a richness to it that you're not always going to find on the printed page. And there's nothing wrong with reading a ghost story. I've read plenty of them and I love them. But there's a reason why I think Stephen King's works have always excelled when you read them rather than when you see them. Because just like an oral presentation can add inflection, add richness, even add tweaks and things to the story to make it more frightening, they can also play off of their audience's emotions. And that's why the oral tradition carried it forward for so long. And when it comes to written versus on screen in a kind of converse way, when you're reading something, your imagination is picking those threads up and spooling it together into something that truly terrifies you. Like you said earlier about how we can subjectively be frightened by different things. Whereas on screen, it becomes flat and one dimensional. Here it is. Here's what's scary. I I can remember watching the eighties miniseries and I enjoyed it till it got to the very end when they actually showed you what the creature was. And it was infinitely the most disappointing thing I've ever seen in my life and killed any fear for me in that entire series. Pennywise was far more disturbing than when they get to the deadlights. Um, but I think it's, it's kind of one of those things where, like you said, like ghost stories 
now are intended to frighten us and they're intended to carry the same weight as a horror story. And I don't know that that's fair or really accurate. Well, also too, with the ghost story, it is, it could just generally be an invention of, you know, someone's mind. I saw this. Right. And you know what? Um, that's perfectly fine because eventually that singular ghost story grows and grows and grows with enough retellings that whomever is retelling it at that point in time might put the frightening twist on it. And then the next person might think, well, I can make it scarier. Right, right, exactly. And I think that's what makes ghost stories... Because when someone says, I'm going to tell you a horror story... I don't, it doesn't have the same impact on me. But when someone says, I'm going to tell you a ghost story, ghost stories feel more personal. They feel more interconnected to us, you know, um, because if someone's telling me a story about this one time, you know, I, I, I could swear I experienced seeing my dead aunt or I can pull out of my own memory and relate to that. You know, I can say, yes, I, I experienced the ghost of my father after he passed on or, or I wish I experienced the ghost of a loved one. But a horror story, you know, is very much about trying to make you afraid, trying to get that fear reaction out of you. And so it's going to reach for things, you know, like you were talking about getting bored with all the 80s, you know, um, Jason and Freddy and all those. Yeah, they were they were a singular-minded killer that was doing nothing but stalking you down. One via dreams. One, if you were a promiscuous, drug-taking, drinking teenager at a certain camp, Crystal Lake. And yeah. one, if you absolutely happened to be in Haddonfield on Halloween night. Yeah, but Michael, I think the reason why I still like Michael after all these years from Halloween is because... He wasn't, at least in the original concept. Are you still hung up on him and his ab workout? No, no, but I would like to know because when you see him pop up at like a freaking washboard, boop, uh, it's just impressive. Um, no, what I was trying to say is that Michael's origin is the, goes to the heart of the whole psychology debate of nature versus nurture. Was Michael evil? You know, at birth, was he, you know, because he committed his first crime when he was like supposed to be, I think, six years old. And you wonder, like, did something happen to him that we weren't privy to? Like, did no one talk about this in the in the in the screenplay? They just determined the six year old kid was born evil and goes on this spree. And so if you take out all the movies that came after, like where he's I don't I don't think he waited to space. I think that was Jason versus Freddy. But, you know, they added all these other supernatural elements to him. But essentially, he was just a sociopath, right? But when you get into Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees, they very quickly became super monsters, and they had superpowers, and they could do all these ridiculous things. But putting all that aside, those kind of villains, I agree with you. Like, at a certain point, it's like, oh, an another one. Here's another one. Here's another one. And, and this is not to... Uh not to say that they're bad at no. all. This is just to say that after a while, tastes change. Yeah. And I, I think horror genre in movies and books has really gone through some very tumultuous times. They It has gone through serious peaks and serious valleys, and it's always kind of trying to find what's going to scare you. And I think that's what pushes it out 
of popularity so often is because it goes for things like visceral scares, like we're going to chop up body parts. You know, it's like the difference between haunted houses. Um, when you go to ones that are based off of psychologically scaring you with different sounds and noises and others that just want to assault your eyes with, here's this bloody feast. Here's these body parts. And yes, for some people, that's what does it. That's what terrifies them. Um, but that's almost an easy, makes you an easy mark for a horror person. Whereas I think ghost stories have a certain depth to them that you can go very, very deep and you can go very well into the psychological recesses, as you know you mentioned earlier, and force people to let their deepest, darkest things come out. Because like I was talking about, ghosts, you know, um, were also seen as a way, if you think about Hamlet, you know, the ghosts that comes back to haunt his son, to compel him to, um, basically avenge him. And that theme is popular for a reason in a lot of ghost stories, because it speaks to a very primal guttural level of all of us about facing our own darkness within us, our own fears, our own doubts about, you know, what really exists in the world outside the, you know, the, in the liminal spaces, basically. Yeah, I can agree with that. I mean, um, when you're thinking about ghost stories and things that frighten you, you are your own worst enemy. Yes. When it comes to them. 100%. you manufacture everything that you're hearing, seeing, thinking, and you put the twist on it. You don't have to go watch it. You don't have to read it. You're manufacturing that time to go ahead and watch and read things that scare you. So when you're laying there at night... And you hear a creak. Was that uh, just a f- the house settling? Or was that someone stepping on the floorboard outside my room? Right. And they're coming to do something to me. You know, there's been an interesting invention in the last, I want to say, five to six years of these really short, they're either called three-word horror stories or they're really short little, I don't want to say TikTok length, but they, they kind of are. Um, they're not necessarily on TikTok, but they're tiny little videos that some very creative people have put out, and they're based on exactly that, something very, very minuscule, a creak on a floorboard, a noise in a hallway. There was one that they turned into a movie. Now, the movie was terrible, but the original concept was pretty genius, and it was someone simply walking down a hallway to their bedroom, and it happened to be that the hallway had a singular light source that when you turned off the light in your bedroom the hallway went completely black and you couldn't see anything. And so a woman is getting ready to go to bed for the night. She turns off the light and in the darkness, she can see someone standing. But as soon as she turns the light back on, there's nobody at the end of the hall. And so she does it again. And now the figure is closer and it goes on and on like that. But it was so clever and it was so simple. And it's exactly what you're saying. Like sometimes it's so simple little things that terrify us that, you know, like I was saying earlier, like ghost stories can horrify us and horror stories can have ghosts, but at the heart of it, it's really what we bring into it. It's what we want to be afraid of and people want to be afraid. And that was something I wanted to mention that even the concept of reading or watching something to create fear, it kind of comes out of a luxury because, um, the first literary 
cultivation of you know what would be considered horror story comes out of a book written by Horace Walpole in 1765, and it's called The Castle of Otranto, and it was the birth of Gothic. And the reason why he's considered the first is because it's the first one published that was successful, and it's very Gothic. If you've ever read Gothic literature, there's castles, there's creaking, there's, you know, all sorts of very over-the-top scares, but people had never experienced that before, and Becoming afraid on purpose was definitely an invention for the rich, because when this book was written, if you were poor, you had a very simple terror. Am I going to live tomorrow because I don't have enough food? Or am I going to die because the person I'm working for is a brutal owner, you know, like the the castle, um, not castle, excuse me, um, the people who had the power and the wealth didn't have to worry about where their next meal was coming from or if they would die from a simple cut. They might, but they had doctors to help them. So when we get the concept of horror fiction, it's a luxury to make yourself afraid because poor people weren't going to read that. Poor people were going to tell their ghost stories, but wealthy people were going to want to read more and more gothic horror because that's when it really takes off, which of course you know, wounds up leading into monster horror stories like When Frankenstein, written by Mary Shelley. So horror for the purpose of entertainment is really something that's a newer invention compared to the ghost story. And as we've been talking about... You know what my joke here is? Yeah. The only reason the rich educated educated them is so they would buy books. <laughs> Probably. Probably. There's always a self-motivation there. So what, is, what does it mean to say... You know, I like ghost stories or I like horror stories. What does it mean to you, honey? Um, as a Fairweather fan of ghost stories and horror stories, as you well know, I find that when there is a motivating factor of let's all get the hell out of here and save our skins and work together, that's a great one. Does it always work out for the people in those examples of stories or movies? No, generally it doesn't always work out because you still have that one selfish asshat who thinks he can do it all by himself and ends up killing everyone else and is the last to die. Or it's, conversely, he dies first while the others escape. Because that, be uh, that seems to be the way it works in those movies, not the, oh no, the killers are com- the killer's coming for us, let's work together, except in Final Girl. Yeah. Where they all work together to get yeah. the killer. Final Girl, great movie. You should check it out if you can okay. find it. Yeah, I'll just leave it at that. But it it generally follows the same formula for most horror movies. The killer's going to come for us. We're all going to scatter, split up, and die. Yeah, but as a Scooby-Doo would tell you, it's never a good idea when you split the gang. You just don't. I, I think what's become interesting to watch is how hard the industry of, of horror entertainment has to work to make it believable why anyone would stay in that situation. Because like you just said, like when we watch them now, we go, oh, come on. Like I would just leave or I would just. You First know, thing we'd do is we'd be like, grab your shoes, grab the keys. We're out. Yeah. So creating a reason, it's like the found footage horror. Like when Blair Witch came out and love or hate it, it definitely made a mark in, in film history. You know, it was a premise that we'd never really seen before, which is not entirely true. There's an earlier one called um, The Last Broadcast, which is an independent, if you can track it down, it's terrifying. 
but no one had seen that before. So we were all willing to suspend our disbelief and go, okay, I can believe these people are still filming while they're, you know, fighting for their lives. I just suspended my disbelief about why she couldn't just wipe her damn nose at one point. I know. Just get that sleeve up there. No, the scariest scene in that movie, even to this day, and anyone who's been camping, I think can relate to this, is the woods have a way at night of creating their own sort of auditorium of audio nightmare because every sound is magnified. It's why we always kept saying to Jackson, he, our son, he would talk at full volume in the tent in a campground. We'd be like, sound travels, lower it down, bring it down. Because bring the voice down, down. Child. Because people are going to hear you on the other side of the campground because there's nothing to interfere with it. So the point being that there's a scene in the movie where they're in their tent and they oh God, keep... is this what I'm thinking? Yes, it is. It's absolutely, it's one of my favorite scenes. So they start hearing noises, and then one of the noises is a baby crying. And one of the characters, I forget, I think it's Josh, says, there's no baby out there. And it just, to this day, that is the most hilariously terrifying thing, because it's very disturbing. You, you're in the woods. Anything is possible. So... Do you want to know my reaction if I heard that? What? Roll over like, and go to sleep. I'd be like, nope, get your asses in the car. We're out. Just like that. And it'd be like, what about our stuff? There's, there'll be daylight from a hotel. We can come back and get this stuff if yeah. it has survived the night. Well, if you watch more current movies about this, this topic, about horror, they get really, really inventive. You know, they have to work really hard to make it believable why somebody wouldn't leave. Like, they might actually, I've seen ones where... They actually have the people do that. They get their stuff and they just go and then something happens to them on the way. So I, I give them props when they pull it off successfully because you and I have actually watched found footage that we're like, okay, I believe that. I believe why that person's still holding onto a camera with one hand and trying to fend off the machete-wielding monster with the other. Okay, that works. But it's it's hard work and you have to be really good at it. And I don't know, you know, we've James Wan is, is a huge... Um, producer of and director of horror right now in Hollywood. And, you know, even he has said that he was starting to see a pattern in his work where he was becoming, it was repetitive. It was the same thing. And so he's decided, I know his latest one is out. He talked about going back to the more truthful, not truthful, I shouldn't say that, like simpler origins of horror, um, which always comes back to, you know, what scares you? Like what scares you, honey? Like, really, honestly, what scares you? Hmm. That's a tough one. Like, it could be a setting. It could be... And it can't, I'm not talking real-life horror. Like, I mean, that some people see that, like, movies about somebody you love dying or anything like that. But I'm talking, like, when it comes to the supernatural, what would scare you? I don't know, because... Mainly because um, I'd rather not put myself in that situation like some people But what do. if you found yourself in that situation? Yep, we're all dead. Well, what would you rather see? A UFO or a legitimate spirit entity ghost? UFO. Really? Because it's going to leave. It doesn't want to deal with this down here. <laughs> what if it doesn't leave? What if it like comes I wake closer? up in the morning and it's just hovering in my window like, hey. Yeah. <laughs> no, what what I think would really have to scare scare me is the fact that um, there's something that you can't get away from. 
Okay. In all honesty, think about it. If it's a supernatural entity that has that's basically immaterial, but can you it can affect you, but you can't affect it. Think about the fear of that right there. It can do things to you, but you can't fight it back to stop it. Okay. That's what a lot of people say terrifies them the most is being having something threaten them or their family and they can't see it and they can't fight it off. And I think the what comes along with that fear is no one will believe them because people would rather believe in certain religious icons of a variety and a wide spectrum than they would believe in the spirit of a dead person who came back for whatever reason. And I've always found that to be astonishing. You know, um, I think there are more supernatural mysteries closer to home. In don't, the- don't forget spirit boards were used in the 19th yeah. century by everybody. Yeah, they were. They were they were common in the well, the first thing remember we were listening to that other podcast uh, talked about the planchette existed before the actual board. The board was an invention by a modern gaming company, but the planchette was just used to kind of channel. I think it's it's common that people want to use something to focus all that energy because right. isn't that what it all is? That is just another story to tell. Exactly. Um so I think at the end of it, you have to think about, I think people need to separate, again, the concept of what is a ghost story and what is a horror story, and being very careful if you're going to interchange them, you know, being authentic to what each brings to the table, you know, and not muddying the waters up by demonizing ghosts and claiming they're all sent from you know, some sort of evil, malevolent force to harm you. Because most ghosts are just trying to reach out and connect. A lot of people may not be able to pass on to what the next life is, whatever it is. And they just still maybe crave that connection to the people they love, to anyone, you know? And like I said, what if the afterlife is loneliness? And you could be their only contact, their only source of realizing that they're not alone in the world. Do you really want to reject them? I mean, there there are a lot of cases of people making peace with the spirits that inhabit their home who really don't mean to do them any harm. And most ghosts will escalate their activity if they feel like they're being ignored. Whereas a lot of ghosts are calmed down and learn how to cohabitate with you when you just acknowledge them. Hey, I know you're here. I, I know you're here and, you know, please don't frighten me but I acknowledge your presence and let's share this space together. I mean, I think at the end of the day, being less selfish is a much more positive alternative. Or what if our ghost stories are ways that we feed these dead to stay with us, give them power. True. Make them more powerful and make some of the most violent hauntings through history because we keep retelling that story. Over and over and over again. We keep lending it our energy. Think about that one, too. Well, that's true. There, there are a lot of paranormal investigators and, and experts in the field who would say that the more afraid you are, the more ghost feeds off that energy. But that then speaks to, you know, what is that ghost's ultimate purpose in being there? And I don't always think it's malevolent. I'm not saying there aren't assholes in the afterlife. There <laughs> certainly are. There definitely I, are. I think there's a lot of people who passed on who were just as nasty and cruel 
But that isn't necessarily evil. Like, I don't know about the ghosts. Just echoes of their former self. Yeah, I mean, they're just echoing what they were in life because I don't believe that you necessarily are cleansed of all this negativity when you pass on. I think that's a personal choice even in the afterlife. So would we classify that as either a ghost story or a horror story? Hmm. Good question. I guess it depends on what ultimately terrifies you. But then that, that just made me think, what if the ghosts of like Ted Bundy, some of the really more heinous like Hitler, like really those people were evil. Like there's no no dispute in my mind at all that they're evil. What do they do in the afterlife? That's a good question, but like, not I, one I'd care to find out. No, 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 not me either. But like I just thought of that. I'm like, did like Ted Bundy... You know, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, they came to violent ends because they led violent lives. But, like, what are they doing? Like, are they haunted? It's like there's somebody out there being haunted. As far as I know, where they were executed at, right? That's probably what they're haunting. Yeah, like prisons. I I see a lot of shows where people go to prisons, and and I have no desire. Like, I know there's one near us that's very haunted. Because, again, remember, that's the ghost story. That you seek when you go to places like that. It's all built off Negativity. the ghost story. No, the ghost story. Think about it. Oh, this happened to me here. This happened to me here. Basically, let me get down to it. Like walking into a cell block and all of a sudden all the doors close suddenly. And you haven't been in that cell block for about five seconds. And right. you're nowhere near the levers. That's part of those ghost stories we seek. What stories will this place tell us about what its inhabitants used to do? Yeah. I mean, I think you can create the atmosphere you set out to. If you go to a place that you know once was inhabited by, you know, prisoners, people who committed violent acts, like, what are you expecting to find, you know? And and why are you confronting those those spirits and why are you demanding things of them and then you're shocked when you get this violent reaction back. Like, that's what always astonishes me. You know what some of my favorite ghost stories are? What? Gettysburg. Yes. And I've been to Gettysburg, and I can honestly say... It just has a weird feeling about it. If if you've never been there... But the ghost stories that have come from from it. People seeing a reenactor that But that's the thing. They never... People never talk about having an interaction with a spirit that is... Negative. They simply see these people living out the trauma that they endured before they died. Another ghost story right there. And, I mean, if we really think about it and we really dig, 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 you could find a ghost story probably about where, about your house or the land your house sits on. Yeah. Think about it. I grew up in a house that was built in 1867, and I never experienced anything negative there, but... I, I could honestly say there was a presence in the house, but it was a good one. The people who lived there, I don't think they had any bad experiences in their life. And if they were trying to communicate, I wasn't able to communicate with them at that time. But here's here's another question. When we consider all of the hauntings, you know, a lot of times an investigation is flawed. If I tell you, okay, they're flawed from the start, because if I tell you, hey, Wayne, People have said when they go into this room, they hear a strange knocking on the wall. So now your brain is primed. And this it's is already hardwired. Right. You've already hardwired knocking. your brain. 
any noise you hear, oh, I heard that knocking. But if I put you into, and this is what essentially to me dooms most paranormal investigations when you see them on TV. People go to well-established locations that already have a reputation and they're briefed on everything. Well, people that's, have said this. People that's not said a that. ghost story. That's not, well, no, but what I'm saying is you're not creating, you're, you're just. And it, you're not creating your own story if you already have the right. story. If you've already been fed all the details, then you can't, you can't have a story. You're not going to have your own unique story. You're going to be basically just reinforcing what everyone else has said. And so therefore it, it's less credible, you know? Now, I, I don't know because because if they have the same experiences as prior people, that's that's not less credible. That's just confirming what prior people have experienced. Okay, well, what I'm when I say it's less credible, it's when it's something that they can't capture evidence of. Because if you just come back to me and say, "Yeah, I went to this house and everybody said that there was this and I had it," well, now I've got to weigh what you're telling me with I haven't experienced it. And while I don't believe you should just doubt people... But did you just get a ghost story that you now want to experience? Well, yeah, of course. Okay, so there you go. So yeah. it's it's not... It has nothing to do with the credibility of it. It has something to do with your experience at that point. Well, the experiential factor, yes. Okay, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I guess my point is that if we want to find legitimate proof in our ghost stories, then perhaps we need to go into them a lot more blindly a lot more accepting of whatever we experience. I would rather not be told. And that. even if that experience is nothing. Right. And, and you know, some people are more sensitive to it. You know, I remember a story from Wayne and I's past. Um, I don't lay claim to being any sort of great um, empath or sensitive. I, I've always felt a particular affinity for things, um, particularly in gauging certain reactions from you know, homes and things like that. But when Wayne and I were first married, we lived in housing that had been built, what, in the 60s? 1940s, 1950s. Okay, 40s. So it was built um, right after the war. And it was pretty old. It was pretty crappy. And a lot of people have lived in military housing. If you've ever lived in military housing, then you know there have been tons of people that Those have come and gone Those older before. houses come with a lot of other energy attached That's right. to them. And even living in the military life, it's full of a lot more stress and it can be full of a lot more drama than the average home. That's where that energy comes from. That's right. So I remember one night Wayne and I were sitting in our bedroom. We were sitting up in bed just talking. Now, it was a big experience for me. I'd moved from New Jersey to California. I was alone most of the day because everyone I knew worked, including obviously my husband. And we had a duplex, so we had people on the right and left of us. But it happened that in our bedroom, our closet was adjoined on the other side by the other people's closet. So sometimes it would be freaky because you'd be laying in bed and you'd hear scrapes and bangs, and it was just someone in their closet. But it still would freak you out until your mind adjusted. And I was like, oh, that's just our neighbors. But there was definitely something else in our home. And Wayne and I Oh, this is the storage closet at the end of the hall. No! Yes. You told me about the storage closet at the end of the hall is where the whatever it was that lived in our home, that's where it lived. Oh, I don't even remember talking about the storage closet. I just remember... Remember that big storage closet at the end of the hall right next to the office? 
Yes, I do. Okay. I do remember that. But and I, you would tell me about that whatever was in this house that roamed at night yeah, but lived there. What I was going to say is that what was interesting about this is that when you first encounter people in your life and you don't know their their full story yet, it's always kind of that moment when you have to share with them, hey, do you believe in ghosts or aliens or things like that? Um, and so Wayne and I were newly married and we had been together for about two years, but it had been a long distance relationship. So we hadn't spend a, a, spent a lot of time getting to the nitty gritty. So we're in bed and we're talking and I had kind of been having this feeling, like Wayne just said, that there was just something in this house, not necessarily good or bad. There was just something. And I remember saying it to him and feeling very trepidatious, like, is he going to think I'm crazy? Like, is he going to blow me off? Like, what's he going to do? And he looks at me with this like serious look on his face and he goes, I know every time I come into a room, it leaves. And I just remember being so freaked out when he said that because he was so serious and so intense. You could feel the energy of the room shift. Yeah. The, you could really feel the energy of the room shift. It never went in the bathroom for some reason. Mm. Maybe it had no business maybe, there. Maybe it had no business in the bathroom. <laughs> it had moved past that. But, yeah. And I knew, I thought that was weird myself, but I was like, okay, whatever. Yeah, I, I think I'm really glad we had that conversation because eventually I would have talked to you about things, but it really kind of opened up a lot of our conversations at that point. Although it took us quite a while before we got to the whole really being accepting that there's a lot more going on. That would be years and years. Yeah, it'd be road. years and years. But so. we're here now, so that's all that matters. Exactly. Okay, so that's about it. But I want to leave everyone with a quote. It's one of my favorites by Stephen King. And it talks a lot about what we've been talking about. So I want you to think about this, especially as we're heading into... October, my favorite time of year. All my fellow witches out there, get ready for the broomsticks and all of the fun of Samhain. So, monsters are real and ghosts are real too. They live inside us and sometimes they win. <laughs>